Well, good. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And as we do that, we're in our last question. Where is the passion? And uh, out of Revelation chapter 3. You know, as I look uh, through these passages, I wonder what God was doing when he assigned me all the tough ones and uh, the other ones like the, the, you know, the open door and the one that doesn't have it, you know, Tim Dix and Pat, didn't Patrick do a great job the last week going through that uh, passage and obedience and talking about that passage. It was just really great. But uh, this morning, you know, what, what do I get? You know, the first one was, hey, you've lost your first love or left it. And uh, another one was you're dead and now you're lukewarm. Well, <clears throat> sort of the final insult um, of the uh, seven questions. But as I look at this passage, I really do have a really light, good life experience that goes along with this. Back when I was in college and working my way through college, I, many of you know already that I sold cemetery lots, all right? Door to door, you know, last people let you down, that kind of thing. Had all kinds of jokes to go along with that. But as I was doing that um, and raising money to go to uh, a private college uh, during the summer, I was going through and I was knocking on doors and uh, decided, well, I needed some gas. And so I pulled into this golden pantry, which in Georgia, kind of equivalent to a 7-Eleven. And so as I was pulling, that, pulling into that uh, place and pumping the gas, another fellow uh, called out my name. He said, Dwayne. And I turned around. It was a guy by the name of Mike. I'll give you a little background. A few years before that, I had started a youth group in my hometown of Bogart, Georgia. And he was part of that. He'd kind of come to join and we able to lead him to Christ or maybe so I thought. And so two years later, a couple of years later, we're meeting up again for the first time. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I said, well, how are things going for you? And he began to talk about the partying that he was doing and the girls and the drinking and all this kind of stuff. And I know that what he was trying to do, he was trying to kind of get me a little bit. You know, maybe he felt like I kind of uh, left, you know, to go off to school and wasn't around anymore, but he was trying to kind of let me know, you know, how cool he was or whatever. And so I just said, well, I tell you what, let's do this. And I pulled out my sales kit, turned to a blank page and threw three circles on the page. Let's show those. And as I was looking at this, I said, look, let's look at your Christian life. Now, first of all, there's a group of people that are cold, and these people don't really follow God at all. I mean, they, they really don't have anything that draws them to God. In fact, you would, we'd call them not even thinking about the things of God. On the other hand, the hot people are really those on fire for God. They have passion for God, and then there's everybody else is in the middle. Now, where would you put your name if you're going to write your name in one of these circles? And of course, he, he couldn't write hot. He didn't want to do cold because last thing he wanted me to do is share the gospel with him. And so he put his name in the middle. And I said, Mike, do you want to know what God thinks of your Christian life? And he said, probably not. But I got a feeling you're going to tell me anyway. And so I opened up this passage and it reads like this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works and they are neither cold nor hot. I would that they were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that word for spit can also mean vomit. And I said, look, Mike, what do you think God thinks of your Christian life? It looks like you're making God sick. 
I wouldn't recommend that approach, by the way. I, I really knew this guy very well, kind of mentored him a little bit for a while. And so as we open up this passage, we're looking and we're saying, well, man, you know, what is God trying to say? Many people believe this last letter to the church at Laodicea was kind of describing the church of the last days. It's the very last letter before we get into the end time events that are going to be taking place. And so they're looking at these seven letters that, well, this is the last one. So it must be during the last days and it describes the church in the last days before Jesus Christ comes back again. And he says, look, three different types of people in the church. They're cold, they're hot, and they are lukewarm somewhere in the middle. So I ask you, where would you put your name? Where would you put your name if God says, look, I want you to put one, your name in one of these circles? And so as I look at this passage, I have to ask myself the question, who's he talking to? Who is this? Some people say, oh, it's the church, just the church. It's the church of people that are saved that are kind of gone back on God. Other people say, no, it's just lost people, people that don't know God at all. And so who is he talking to? And then what is this thing we call lukewarm? What are the characteristics of that? How do you know if you're lukewarm? And then we look at the, the uh, not only the what, but the why. Why does this happen to us? And finally, how do you get out of it? How do you become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Well, as we open up <clears throat> this passage, this last letter, we understand that John, the apostle, last of the apostles, writing 65 years approximately, after Jesus Christ had died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Now the church in the beginning was always, always described as zealot, as zealous for him, for Christ, passionate for the Lord, everywhere you go. And so that looks like the norm. 65 years later, how is the church kind of described? 65 years later, whole new generation coming along. Well, you've left your first love. You're kind of dead and you're lukewarm. Three of the descriptions of, of three of these seven churches. And so what's the problem here? And as John is writing on the Isle of Patmos, we look at these four questions as we look at our own life because dear friends, right now we're going through some tough times and it would be really advantageous to me if we were not in this series and I could just preach to you something very, very encouraging, as I will uh, next week with, uh, with a sermon I have planned for next week, very encouraging messages about Christmas. However, we're going through a tough time, not only in this nation, but all across the country. What is God trying to tell us? What is he trying to look into our heart and help, trying to help us to realize? Trials are for a reason. And so what reason could he be bringing about in order to change our life and put a new perspective on our life altogether? Well, let's look at it. First of all, the who. Verse 14, and to the angel, that is the messenger or the pastor of the church of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, the last of the seven churches, this city was founded in 250 BC and was founded by a man who named it after his wife. Her name was Laodicea. And it was about 10 miles from Colossae. Very important, by the way, as we get into the passage, the reason I'm mentioning that. And many of you know about Colossae because the church of Colossae was, uh, received the book of Colossians, one of the New Testament books. Heropolis, however, is not known to us. It's about six miles away, another important city. Now, this city, Laodicea, was a banking city. 
It was like the Wall Street of Asia Minor. In fact, it was a, had a manufacturing of ISAV, which we're going to get to in just a moment in this passage as well. And so it, it invented and manufactured this ISAV, and it was really a manufacturing type of city. And so it was really well off. Now, the problem was they didn't have fresh water, and that was their undoing. Eventually, they came apart as a city because they could not get fresh water to the city. But in this time, they were, this is the description. If you're going to remember Laodicea as a city, remember this. They were self-sufficient. Now, an earthquake that we've mentioned before in this series, um, approach and really attacked, if you want to call that, an earthquake came about in AD 60 and really affected all of Asia Minor. Of all the cities, however, that said, look, Rome, we don't need your help. Now, Rome had money. Rome, we don't need your help. We can do this ourselves. It was this very church. And so the problem with Laodicea is that they were self-sufficient. They didn't have need of anything that's going on around them. Now, the church had adopted that attitude and the culture of the city. They were self-reliant. And we find, we're going to find, that that was the problem in the days of Laodicea and the problem with the city. Who is he writing to? Well, he says, the church at Laodicea, right. But he also says, you're lukewarm. Now, that does not describe the church of the New Testament. It just doesn't. So who is he writing? He's writing the church at Laodicea. The church is an institution. Within the institution, there are people that have never received Christ. In fact, we would surmise from this passage that most of them were in that boat. Then there are others that once were on fire for the Lord, but they're no longer on fire for the Lord. They had, they had bought into the culture. They bought into the city and their self-reliance just simply upon themselves. Now notice it says here that Jesus is the words of the amen, the truth. When you say amen, that's what you're saying, truth. In fact, let's practice that right now. Say amen. amen. You just said truth. Oh, that word verily, verily that you find in the, in the Bible. Truly, truly, I say unto you. When you say amen, he says, I am the truth, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And the word beginning here, uh, RK, does not necessarily mean that it was the firstborn of something. It could also mean the causal factor of something. That's what it's saying here. Colossians says this. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we look at this and we see the problem. We can see that the church 65 years before was noted for its being on fire. And 120, day, 120 people on the day of Pentecost, up in that upper room praying, the Holy Spirit of God came down upon them Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people were saved. We find that Stephen in Acts chapter 8 was, was martyred for his faith and crying out to the Lord and the heavens opened up and a revival happened right there. We can look at Acts chapter 10 when the first uh, Gentile received the, the power of the Holy Spirit in their life and received Christ that someone outside the Jewish faith for the very first time rejoicing and people telling everyone about Jesus. We see the zealousness and zealot or a zealousness means that there is one thing in your life, one thing that's important in your life. 
One thing was important in their life, and that was Jesus Christ. But 65 years later, the church had gone away from it. So what? What happened? Verse 15, I know your works, neither you're nor cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Why? Well, if you're, if you're hot, that's easy to understand, right? But if you're cold, at least you know where you are. You're not fooling yourself, Jesus says. And there's a chance that I could reach you for the cause of Christ. But if you're lukewarm, you're not seeing yourself as God sees you at all. And so he says here, but because you are lukewarm. Now, let's come back to these, these cities. Laodicea was near Colossae. And Colossae was a place where it had cold water, just 10 miles away. Heropolis, on the other hand, had hot springs. But Laodicea had no water. And it had to have aqueducts to pipe the water in from Colossae and other places in order to have water in the city. And by the time it got through all the aqueducts, it was lukewarm. It was warm and it was uh, sometimes contaminated and certainly stagnant. And when people would drink it, sometimes they would just spit it out of their mouth. Other people would drink it anyway and vomit because of the sickness of that lukewarm water. And so Jesus is drawing a parallel hill here. He's doing something of an illustration. He's saying, just like the water that you drink every day, that you struggle with, I struggle with you. Because I want to spit or vomit you out just like you want to do that water. Well, we look at this and we understand that there are certain characteristics. How do you know? How do you know that you're lukewarm? How do you know you're not hot and on fire for God? Now, Francis Chan, in one of his books, Crazy Love, talks about certain characteristics of being lukewarm. And I don't have any issue with any of these. I agree with every single one of them. But let me just read them to you, and I, I'm going to try to read them to you without much comment. <clears throat> At least that's my intention. <laughs> All right? Number one, lukewarm people give money as long as it does not impinge upon their standard of living. First Chronicles 21, 24. Number two, lukewarm people tend to choose the popular over the right and scriptural when in conflict. People do that with their friends, even in church. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm siding with my friend. Never mind what's right or wrong. Never mind what the Bible says. My friend feels this way. I'm siding with my friend. We do that in the church as well as in the world. Number three, lukewarm people call radical what Jesus normally expects from his followers. You know, you've heard the old expression, what is the definition of a fanatic? Well, that somebody loves Jesus more than me. Number four, lukewarm people seldom share their faith. Are you feeling, are you feeling it yet? Are you seeing anything yet? Lukewarm people, number five, measure their goodness by comparing themselves to the lost world. Number six, lukewarm people say they love Jesus, but he is not allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people do not love others as much as they do themselves unless those people love them back. So says Schaefer and Matthew 22. Lukewarm people give, live their lives more for the now than for eternity. In fact, the word secular, as we said before, means now. It comes from a word meaning now. You live for the now rather than for eternity and having eternity in mind. 
Chan says, number nine, lukewarm people feel eternally safe because they go to church, they've been baptized, and are from a Christian family. And yet Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And number 10, lukewarm people seldom see themselves as lukewarm. Seldom see themselves as lukewarm. Well, in my story with Mike, I was saying to him, here are the three circles. He told on himself by putting his, his name in that middle. And at the end of it, he almost really kind of broke down. And he says, Dwayne, I am not in the middle. I am cold as ice. Seeing himself as God sees him. Now, Chan, Francis Chan, gives us 10 characteristics. I can't argue with them at all. They're all from the Bible, but that's not what this passage says to us. When he says to the church at Laodicea, you are lukewarm, he tells them the what and the why together, the core of it, not just the characteristic, the core of it and the why in this verse. Look in verse 17. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered, prospered and have need of nothing. As we look at our three circles again, we can find something here that's very insightful in the Bible. First of all, we look at cold, lukewarm, and hot once again. Now, on the one hand, the cold people have needs in their life. They have needs. They go to the world with their needs. They can't trust the Bible, so they maybe look to politics or maybe look to business. They can't trust God, so they, they look at retirement and say, I've got to get all I can get in order to retire early. They trust in the things of the world. They have needs in their life. On the other hand, the people that are zealous for God, those that are really on fire for the Lord, they're hot. They have also they have needs, but they go to God for their needs. They go to God and say, I need wisdom from the Bible because I don't have wisdom of my own. I need to pray to God because I need God, I'm dependent upon him. But the people in the middle have no needs. Now, does that really mean that it's like the kind of person you come up to and say, hey, how are things going? Oh, everything's great. God's blessing my life, I have, I have no needs. Probably that person is just not wanting to open up to you. No, it's talking about the person like in the city of Laodicea or in the church of Laodicea where they say, I have no needs that I am incapable of meeting. I am self-sufficient. I can do it on my own. I mean, I'm a, I want God in my life, but I don't need God in my life. I have needs in my life. Uh, you know, my, my marriage has some needs. My kids are grown and they're gone. But you know, I can handle this myself. I don't need anything from the church or from uh, the Lord. I was talking to someone this past week that works for um, an organization that is surveying America and wondering about what, how COVID is gonna be affecting America. And this is what they said. They said 25% of the people that are church members that went to church, at least some, before COVID, 25% of them will drop out forever. Now, we never had them. You know, he would admit that. We never really had them, but they came some. But they found out, and they're gonna find out after a year, maybe, of not going to church, not tuning in online, they can live without it. Hey, I can live without the church. I don't, I, I'm self-sufficient. I have needs in my life. I have marital needs. I have 
needs with my children. I have needs with my, my boss. I have needs with money. I have needs and needs, but I can do it. I can be, I can be I'm a loner. Hey, I, can, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps and here I go. I have need of nothing. Prayer life is short and sweet, mediocre, not consistently in God's word. I mean, after all, you don't need the wisdom of God. You've got enough wisdom. Or you figure, hey, since I'm, I'm a child of God, God's just gonna throw the wisdom in my brain. Don't need him. I want God, but just like the Laodiceans, I don't need God. So what is the how? How do you get out of this? How do you deal with this? Because dear friends, we have to deal with it. Now you have, we have all kinds of issues in our nation. And we can talk about this, but listen, judgment begins in the household of faith. The judgment starts here in my own heart. I've got to deal with this. I'm wasting my life if Jesus Christ is not my Lord. I'm wasting my Christian influence if I'm not on fire and zealous for God. If I don't recognize the fact, you say, well, I don't feel the emotion. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying you have needs and you are dependent upon God for those needs. And listen, dependence will always result in obedience. Always result in submission. Always result, even in the family. A child needs their parents, they're gonna be submissive. They're gonna be willed into obedience. But once they don't need you, they're going their own way. When you and I do not depend upon the Lord, we will not inherently obey him. It won't be just a natural inclination of our soul. And so how do we handle it? Look in verse 18. I counsel you, he says. This is the counsel. This is the path that he has chosen for us. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He says, buy the gold. Don't buy the silver, don't buy the bronze, don't buy the wood. Buy the gold. And he's already described himself in the book of Revelation chapter one as, as something of gold. Buy the best, Jesus Christ. You buy the treasure, sell everything else that you have, so to speak, and all the other gods that are in your life, all the other things that you are dependent upon, including yourself, sell those and buy that which is all wisdom. I mean, after all, you say, no, I can do this myself. Oh, yeah? How much knowledge do you really have? You know, it's really silly for me to say that I can handle this. I don't need God. It's just silly for me to say that. I have almost no knowledge of the present. I don't even know what's going on here. Think about it for just a minute. Do I really know if you're listening to me or not? I don't know that. And somebody else just elbowed somebody and said, what did he say? <laughs> but I don't know anything about the future. And I don't know anything about, really much about the past. My past, that's all. I don't have infinite wisdom I've made wrong decisions just like you have. It's silly for me to say, how much power? You know, I don't have any, almost, I, I have very little power within myself, much less superpowers. I don't have any of those. 
it's silly for me to say, oh, I, I, I got this. It's prideful for me to say, I've got this. I can handle this. But yet we do it all the time. And he said, that is the characteristic of lukewarmness. And that is the why of lukewarmness. He says, so buy the gold. I've shared with you maybe in the past about the, um, the story Misfit by Flannery O'Connor. And the story goes about the, really this psych, psycho, basically, is killing people. He's a serial killer. He's about to kill this woman and she's praying. And he's been stalking her. He's been canvassing her home and find, you know, finding out everything about her before he kidnapped her. This elderly lady, he says, I know you. You're the hypocrite. You don't know what I know. He said, if you knew what I knew, you would totally be sold out for Jesus Christ, but you're not. I've seen your life. You're not sold out for him. You use God the way you want to use him. But you know, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't have wasted your life because I know that if God exists, he is all, he's everything. He's all that matters. But if he doesn't exist, then nothing matters and I can do what I want to do and right now I want to kill you and he does. Either Jesus Christ is Lord and he's all that matters, says the misfit, or he doesn't matter at all. Buy the gold. He says, put on the white garment. Cover up the nakedness, he says, in verse 18. So you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness and, and the nakedness is, I, I can't see the way God sees me. I need to put on the white garment, that garment of forgiveness. And I need to put him on in my life. I need to receive him. Into, I need to see the gold, seize the gold, and receive the gold as a white garment for the forgiveness of sin. Then he says, put on the eye salve so you can see the way I really see you. Are you fearful to do that today? Are you fearful, if I were here, in some of your shoes, I would be say, hesitant. I wish I hadn't come. I don't want to put on that eye salve. If I put on the eye salve that he's talking about symbolically pulling off again from the city of Laodicea, I might really see myself as lukewarm. And then I'd have to do something about it. I'd be forced to. I'd feel a yearning to do that. But we have to deal with this issue. If we don't, we're gonna waste our life. We're gonna waste the time that we have. If we don't, we can't blame anyone for where the country goes in the next few months, in the next few years, in the crisis that we're in. Judgment begins here in the household of faith. If we don't deal and grapple with the issue, eternity is too long to be wrong. Again, most of these people in this church he's speaking to are, are lost. He said, well, how can you say that? Well, it's kind of like a hole here. Now, you can imagine a whole church being lukewarm. And you say, well, yeah, I can believe that. I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. Show me somewhere in the Bible, any passage in the Bible, and you can talk to me afterwards. You can email me. Anywhere in the Bible that says, hey, it's okay if you're lukewarm. You know, you're, you're still a believer. Show me somewhere in the Bible where it's not describing a believer as being zealous and on fire and passionate for God. And then let me ask you this. How in the world can the Holy Spirit of God come to live inside someone's heart and they not 
sense the fire and passion and love for Jesus Christ. It is natural to be hot, unnatural to be lukewarm. He says there's a prescription here. Those whom I love, he, he loves this church. He loves Laodicea. His heart goes out to them. He, he loves them. He wouldn't have written them a letter, this stern letter, letter really, if he had not loved them. He says, I love you. I reprove you, however, in discipline. So be zealous and repent. Almost all these letters end in that. Repent, repent. God, I've gone one way. I know I'm going the wrong way. I've got the eye salve on. I can see myself the way you see, see me. It's not where I need to be. I turn from that and I come to you. And he says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, here's a promise. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have an ear this morning? What does that mean? It, it simply means this. It means that you are willing to listen to God. You're not of those that say, I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. I, I don't like to be insulted that way. That I'm actually lukewarm. I don't like to be brought under conviction in that way. You don't have an ear to hear. Jesus said, those who have ears, spiritual ears to hear, hear what I'm sharing and telling and commending about you. But he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And I've heard so many pastors say, this is talking really to the Christian. This is not really an evangelistic verse. I beg your pardon. I, there's no question it's an evangelistic verse. Because there's, he says he's talking to the church, but there are people in the church that don't know Christ. I know some of you have heard of Billy Graham before. Just passed away just a few years ago at the age of 99. The greatest preacher of, a, of the gospel perhaps of all time as far as leading people to Christ. And he says the vast majority of the people that he led to Christ were church members. So there's no question. He says Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And he's knocking and it can apply to both of us. It can apply to those that were once on fire and zealous for God, but you miss God. You miss the, the fire. You miss putting him first in your life. You're missing so many things in life. You're allowing other gifts and other things and other problems. And you just want to get back to loving Jesus. But it's also talking directly to those who maybe felt like in the church at Laodicea they were saved. They really felt like, hey, you know, I, I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I, I go to church occasionally. I do, or maybe even all the time. But you know in your heart, he's still knocking at the door. It's just like this picture that we see so often in uh, Sunday school literature where Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Notice there's no handle on the outside because the artist drew it, painted it in such a way that the only way you can open the door is from the inside, the inside of your heart. I love the story of the little girl seeing a big picture, the big painting of this in, uh, in their church. She's standing there with her dad, and um, she looks up and she says, Daddy, did he ever get in? 
And I, I would ask you, did he ever get in? He's knocking at your door, the heart, your heart's door. And he says, if you'll let me come in and be your savior and Lord, I'll put a fire in your heart. I'll take care of you. You can trust me. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, maybe that's the, the prayer of your heart. Whether you're watching by um, television or a computer somewhere or right here, I would invite you to come with us now to finish the journey and to start a new one. As you can receive Christ into your heart as Savior and Lord. If you've never made that decision or you're not sure that if you were to die right now, you know for sure you'd go to heaven, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I can pray it out loud. You can pray it silently here or out loud at your home. But pray with me right now. Lord God, thank you for loving me. You're right about me. I'm separated from you by sin. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of all my sins. And ask you to come into my life and heart. Save me. And be the master of my life. I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, if you prayed that prayer, if you're here, there's a card that's located somewhere on your pew, and I'd like for you to take this, fill out the front, and let us know about your decision. You need a point in time where you said, this is the date. This is the time I remember. This is the date, and you can write down that date on the front of the card, and on the back of the card, it says, my decision today, I've decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. If that's your prayer today, you prayed that prayer with me, put a little check in the box. If you're online, you can go and download this card. It's already been instructed to you just a few moments ago. And then now let me say a challenge to every Christian. You know that Jesus lives in your heart, but you know you also have needs in your life. Where do you go with those needs? You really go to God. How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading life? How's your church life? your fellowship life with other people. Do you really go to God with those needs? Or are you saying, you know, I think I can handle this on my own. And everything that goes along with that, I ask you today to ask God to do a work in your life. Whether you're watching again at home or right here, that God would do a work in your life to make that difference in your life that Jesus would become Lord of your life and he'd put a fire in your heart. And that is my prayer for you today. Let's pray again. God, thank you so much for all that you've given us. And I pray for every single believer here. And the sound of my voice and those who'd watch this in the future, that God, you would do a great work in their life today. Help us to see you as you see us. Help us put that eye salve on and say, God, this is who I am. And God, I know this is what you want me to be and who you want me to be, and I want to be that person. And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.